China may actually be able to successfully export some of these AI services and the resulting competition between Western and Chinese AI firms would have both commercial and strategic aspects. And in that sense, artificial intelligence is likely to be another area in which geopolitical tension between the West and China leads to global fracturing. This is your Capital Economics Weekly Briefing. I'm David Wilder, and this is a special episode all about the economic implications of artificial intelligence. This is part of our 2023 Spotlight Report, a deep dive into how AI will transform the global economy. You can find the report and accompanying proprietary data on our special webpage, capitaleconomics.com forward slash AI. Our last episode in this short series explained how AI is going to provide a massive productivity boost to economies, but also highlighted some downside risks. In this episode, we'll be hearing all about our AI Economic Impact Index, our unique ranking of economies by their ability to innovate, adopt and adapt to AI technologies. We'll be diving into the index rankings to see how the global economic order could be reshaped by AI. And we'll be focusing on the technology's impact on emerging economies, not least China and India. We're joined by Monalee Hall-Harris from our consulting division, who was a lead economist in building the index, and Deputy Chief EM Economist Shilin Shah, who co-authored our analysis of AI and the global economic order. My conversation starts with Monalee, who explained what makes our AI Economic Impact Index so different from other measures, and why it's useful in gauging how countries will fare in the AI economy. So the aim of the AI Index was to produce an effective tool to assess which countries are best placed to benefit from AI from a macroeconomic perspective. So we did a lot of literature research And there are lots of AI indices out there, but the ones that we found tend to focus mostly on which countries are well-placed to develop AI technologies. So these indices tend to include lots of tech-specific indicators like employment in tech professions or stats on machine learning systems. But we know that the impact of AI on a country's economy is likely to stretch further than just the income from developing the AI technologies. So the adoption of AI can impact productivity and employment. And then whether the countries are winners or losers can then sort of depend on how well placed these economies are to diffuse AI throughout the economy and to adapt to any potential dislocation that AI might cause. Yeah, there's no shortage of indices out there that are measuring how various economies are taking a lead in terms of innovating or developing AI technologies. But this is what's unique here is that we do have this this presentation of all aspects of, of AI and its emergence. So from the innovation side, but also in terms of uh, adoption and, and how well economies can adapt to it. Can you talk a little bit about the methodology, about how you approach these three pillars? So we wanted to create an index that not only looked at the innovation aspect of AI, but also the broader macroeconomic implications of AI as well. So um, that's why we decided to cover the three main objectives through our pillars of the index, which are sort of looking at the innovation aspect, as well as the diffusion and adaptation potential for different countries. In terms of our methodology, well, given that we wanted to look at these sort of three pillars, we collected a range of indicators relevant to each of those pillars. In total, we collected 40 indicators across 33 countries. So that's a combination of major DMs and EMs. 
We then used a methodology called the distance to frontier that's also been used by the World Bank for compiling its indices. So essentially, you estimate the relative performance of the 33 countries on a given indicator and you produce a score from zero to 100, 100 being the best and zero being the worst. And then where the different countries sit relative to that best and worst performance, you you can produce a normalized score for those. So then you can take an average of these indicator scores to generate a pillar score. And then finally, from that, producing an overall index score. And there's loads of surprising findings that that you've come up with in, in your research. I mean, the index is fascinating to look at in terms of placement of the various countries and some countries that are higher than you, that you'd expect and other countries that you would expect to be to be higher up on, on the list given their reputation as technology leaders, but, but perhaps not doing as well as you'd expect. We're going to be hearing from Shillen in a moment about some of those, but I wanted to ask you, as I say, loads of surprising findings. Were there any that, that jumped out at you? So I found it particularly interesting breaking down the index into different pillars so i mean putting the us aside which is streaks ahead you can see that just because you're performing well on inventing ai might not necessarily mean you're going to be the best at diffusing it through the economy and being able to adapt to the dislocation that it might create just looking at our index results so you have somewhere like singapore which ranks second overall on our index behind the us so the country is fifth on innovation, but it's very strong on the potential to diffuse the technology through the economy, ranking first on diffusion and then third on our adaptation pillar. So this really highlights that if you look at the breakdown of the pillar's scores, you can see that the inventors of AI won't automatically be the biggest beneficiaries of the potential impacts of the technologies. But it also highlights that you don't necessarily have to be the leader in inventing AI in order to benefit from potential boosts to productivity or employment. Shilin, let's bring you in at this point. We, we surveyed clients about AI as we were working on this project, asking them questions about how transformative they thought AI would be and things about financial markets impact of AI. Results were interesting. More than two thirds came back and said that AI wouldn't be a, a US dominated story. And, and that's reflected in the index where we have the US coming in first, but followed by economies like Singapore, uh, the UK, which came pretty high. We talked about that on our last podcast. But looking through the top 10, you don't see China. In fact, it's quite low down on the list, isn't it? And I found that surprising given how AI is being prioritized in Beijing as a strategic industry. What explains its its position on the economic impact index? Yes, thank you, David. It's certainly one of the more striking results of our index. And you're right, up until a year ago or so, China was probably considered one of the leaders, if not the outright leader in AI. Um, and it does have a high score on our index in innovation. Now, this really is a reflection of the significant resources that the public and private sectors have channeled towards AI since it was identified as a, a national priority uh, in the mid-2010s. But where China doesn't rank quite as well is on diffusion. Regulators in China have insisted on much greater oversight of the, the generative AI tools developed by Chinese firms than we've seen elsewhere. And I think that's in large part to ensure that they operate within censorship rules. We also think that the leadership's efforts to direct the activities of China's firms will make economy-wide adoption uh, of AI harder. And we can look at the, the crackdown on the tech sector as an example of this. So what this means is that while China 
leads in some areas of innovation. It only ranks 18th uh, in our index out of 33 countries. That is the highest of any major emerging market, but it is a middling performance overall. However, I think it's important to note that China could still play a significant role in how the AI landscape develops globally. Now, as happened with uh, internet services, for example, China is walling off its domestic market and nurturing an independent ecosystem of AI providers. And I think unlike the early years of the internet, China may actually be able to successfully export some of these AI services and the resulting competition between Western and Chinese AI firms would have both commercial and strategic aspects given the concerns around the security implications of depending on AI technology. And in that sense, artificial intelligence is likely to be another area in which geopolitical tension between the West and China leads to global fracturing. There's a lot of takeaways from that index and, and from the accompanying report and a lot, as you say, about this, this process of fracturing. There are interesting things to say also about the placements of Japan and Eurozone economies, given their structural challenges. But I did want to look a bit more closely at AI and emerging markets, because we've done some really provocative analysis here. We've got this long-standing view that EM catch-up with developed economies has been slowing. Along comes the potential of generative AI. Talk a bit about what uh, artificial intelligence means in the context of closing that income gap between DMs and, and EMs. Yeah, sure. I mean, if we leave aside the original Asian tiger economies, as well as China, which we've just discussed, most emerging markets rank lower than most developed markets in our index. That's perhaps not surprising. I mean, at the risk of oversimplifying, you have low dynamism in the private sector, smaller and less advanced IT sectors relatively low investment into R&D and the brain drain of top talent to richer economies. All of these factors will prevent EMs from being technological innovators, and it will also slow the diffusion of technology relative to richer economies. And I think when it comes to AI specifically, there are some other factors to consider as well. Many emerging market sovereigns and firms will be reluctant to implement large AI programs uh, at the risk of being punished by the markets. Governments uh, may therefore need to in uh, incentivize startups or rely on donor supports. Uh, and I think another constraint is a lack of sufficiently skilled workers in the labor market. This could include workers who maintain AI systems and advise on how and where to use AI um, within individual businesses. Uh, and of course, it's also worth bearing in mind that many emerging markets are uh, autocratic um, and governments may be wary of widespread use of large language models, for example, due to censorship issues. Now, there is a more optimistic view uh, of AI uh, in emerging markets, and that's because what it does offer uh, is a chance for low-income emerging markets to gain wide-scale access to services that have a material economic impact. And I think in some ways this has similarities with the mobile phone revolution in Africa and South Asia, for example, that helped massively in the in the early 2000s and 2010s uh, to boost access to financial services, help to create an online business ecosystem that really otherwise wouldn't have is, have existed. And if we think of some of the potential use cases of AI in medicine and healthcare, that could bring huge benefits to countries that suffer from high infant mortality rates, for example. I think AI also has the potential to address the skills gap in education. If we look at some parts of sub-Saharan Africa, there are around 40 to 50 primary school kids to each teacher. And that compares to something like 
10 to 15 across Western economies. So even relatively simple applications of AI, such as grading tests or assisting with translation, could complement teachers and help to boost human capital. So what this means is it's far from a downbeat story for emerging markets, I think. But what we do think is that the AI revolution will make income convergence harder because richer economies are better equipped to deploy the technology on a wider scale. And when we're thinking about AI and and EMs, it's not just about catching up and adapting to technological development, is it? I mean, AI is a clear and present danger to, to key industries, which have done so much to deliver growth to some EMs. You highlight the BPO sector in the report, this whole outsourcing industry to places like the Philippines and India. How vulnerable is that sort of work in these economies, what will that mean for for their growth rates? Yes, this really comes back to the point that we've made in previous podcasts that AI has the potential to lift productivity and services more so than it does in any other sector. Uh, really, the risk for countries that you just mentioned, India um, and the Philippines, as well as one or two others, uh, is that Western firms paying for outsourcing services increasingly decide to do them in the cloud. Now. The first point to make really on this is that the BPO industry is smaller than is often assumed. It accounts for around 0.5% of total employment in India, about 1.5% in the Philippines. Now, the share of GDP is larger, but around 65 to 7% in both countries, but it's not, it's not enormous. So in an extreme scenario where the BPO sector got completely wiped out over the next decade and workers and capital in that sector were left redundant rather than redeployed to other parts of the economy, we estimate that the direct hit to GDP growth would be around 0.8 percentage points per year in both countries. Now, all else equal, that would imply a drop in potential growth to about 5% uh, in India and around 4.5% in the Philippines. So while it's detrimental to income convergence, economic growth would remain relatively robust. And I think in any case, redeploying capital from the BPO sector probably wouldn't be that difficult. If you think call centers, uh, for example, um, probably the most ubiquitous example um, of the BPO industry, that could be repurposed for other offices or housing. Uh, and the ICT equipment that's used uh, in those sectors could be used in other sectors as well. And as for labor that might be displaced from the BPO sectors, there are opportunities to reskill. So demand for AI-related services, for example, in training or in sense-checking outputs may grow, and a lot of that could be outsourced. And I think just as important a situation where the BPO industry gets completely obliterated is highly unlikely anyway. We've made the point before that making the most of a new technology requires significant organizational process changes to make full use of the accompanying capital investments. And all of that takes time, and many firms in the West will continue to use BPO services for, for quite a while yet, we think. So in terms of what this means, we think that the BPO sector could enter a slow demise that knocks around 0.3 to 0.4 percentage points of GDP growth in India and the Philippines over the next year. It's not helpful, but it's not really a disaster either. Now, some of the other countries that might be affected by shrinking BPO sectors are Brazil, Mexico, and Poland though we don't think that's going to be to the same extent as, as in India or the Philippines. And a hit to GDP of around 0.1 to 0.2% uh, per year seems a, a reasonable estimate to us. I think an important point to make is that a bigger threat to emerging market catch-up would be if AI displaced workers in manufacturing sectors. I mean, this is the tried and tested route to income convergence with richer economies. And I think 
In particular, the big threat is if AI techniques become increasingly common in the software used to operate industrial robots. Now, this could replace assembly workers in dozens of emerging markets. Now, as it stands, industrial robots haven't really been able to gain a foothold in manufacturing sectors because of very high upfront costs, but also because they lack the fine motor skills of humans. Now, that could change if AI techniques such as computer vision and deep learning are used on a wider scale to hone the skills of robots. But to be sure, the technology isn't there yet, and, and it may never actually reach that point. And even if it did, there would still be some comparative advantage of cheap labor and lands that would mean that manufacturing wouldn't be entirely reshored to richer economies. But I think the big point is, is that if AI were to become more prevalent in manufacturing, it would make emerging market catch up much more difficult than if the deployment of the technology were only limited to services. You've outlined significant challenges there for, for EMs, even though perhaps you know in, in aggregate the the actual hit may not be as as large as people would think. But let's just stay on India if we can, because it keeps coming up in our work on AI and the global economic order. We've spent years pushing back against the bull case for China, but we do have a fairly upbeat view of India over the long term. The AI index does jar a bit with that story. We've just touched on some of those challenges. So how do we think about India's potential to develop AI technologies and adopt and adapt to AI? How do we think about that alongside this, this fairly optimistic long-term outlook? Well, I think it ties into a few of the points we've just discussed. And there is the question of timescale around all of this as well. So the immediate challenge, I think, for India is the impact of AI on the BPO sector, which we just discussed. Now, if that does enter a slow demise, it will knock a little bit of GDP growth per year, perhaps around 0.3 to 0.4 percentage points. But as we've discussed, there are other applications of AI, in particular in medicine and education, that can have a very positive impact on somewhere like India. It's just that Deploying the AI in those sectors may take a bit longer. So it might be a story for the 2030s rather than the 2020s. Now, alongside the strong population growth uh, in India, as well as India being the potential beneficiary of the movement of manufacturing supply chains out of China as the global economy continues to fragment, means that we are still pretty upbeat on India's long-term prospects, even if we do see the, its outsourcing industry face headwinds in the near term. That was Shilin Shah and Monali Hall-Harris on our AI Economic Impact Index and what AI means for the global economic order. Again, you can see the index and read our special report, AI Economies and Markets, How Artificial Intelligence Will Transform the Global Economy, on our webpage, capitaleconomics.com forward slash AI. If you're a subscriber to CE Advance, our premium platform, don't forget you get access to all of the index's underlying data and much more besides. Get in touch if you want to learn more about that. We'll be back with another episode in this short series explaining what AI means for financial market returns, including whether those valuations of stocks at the heart of the AI hype are justified. But until next time, goodbye. Whilst this podcast is provided with all reasonable skill and care, it comprises the subjective views of our economists. Furthermore, these views are not opinions, nor do they constitute investment or financial advice, or are they guarantees or reassurances to the expected results of any investment products or outcome. You should seek your own specific advice in relation to questions you may have. We will have no liability to you in relation to this podcast whatsoever.